Chris Dayton, welcome to Brokers and Brew, my man. Looks like you're outside enjoying the day. How's it going? Dude, it's beautiful. We got to capture these moments in Michigan. There's like four of them a year. For sure. So uh, I wasn't 100% you you, uh, knew the theme. And so right before I hit record, looked like you grabbed a Michigan brew. Uh, Oh, yeah. What'd you bring to the table? Rock a little M43 during this uh, little conversation. I figure, you know what? By the time I get done with this, conversation might be real good. (laughs) That's true. So to match you, I just decided this week after maybe about 18 months to go back on uh, keto, which means there's not a lot of beers and especially the first few days. So I had to go hardcore, got some screwball peanut butter whiskey. So I'm just going to... I could have rocked the Woodford. Uh, That's okay. It is brokers and brews, and this isn't really a brew, but it's either that or I was going to drink water, and I sure wasn't going to do that. So, <laughs> Not as the host. <laughs> no, not, not as the host. Plus, I've had about four bottles of water and a Gatorade, so I'm good and, and hydrated. So Nice. It's very friend, important. Uh, we got together on our first deal recently, and – you know, but I've known the name in real estate for a little while. Let's back it up a little bit for anyone who doesn't know anything about you. Graduated from Michigan State, and then where do we go from there? Well, I, technically, I didn't graduate, just to be clear, uh, because my dad would be uh, remiss. You know, he passed away several years ago, but one of his biggest things was he was the most angry at me that I uh, decided – I didn't want to be in school anymore. So I did go to Michigan State. I am a senior. (laughs) But then you get going in life and your career. And I actually get asked all the time, you know, do you want to go back to school? And, uh, you know, it's tough now as a real estate agent and running a company and doing the different things that we do. Why? You know, I in general, I mean, obviously, school is a great thing. Uh, I have two kids. I'm trying to save money for them to go to school. So I'm absolutely not not promoting school. But you have to ask why um, before you do whatever you're going to do. Um, it's a big thing in our world, right? We say, what's your big why? Why, why are you in this yeah. industry? Um, because money's not the answer. And really, it should be the same answer for anything you're choosing to do, whether it's go to a, an educational system, go to a vocational school, you know, learning something, whatever it is that you want to do, you know, why? And um, if you have a good why, then go do it, you know? You know, that's, that's one of those things where, you know, school is awesome. I have, uh, I have a sibling, Sarah, my sister Sarah, who's a doctor. Obviously, we want our doctors to go to school and uh, study and preferably practice on other people before they get to us. Uh, And then I've got, you know, a brother-in-law that's an electrician and he crushes it, you know. So, uh, you know, it's just it's whatever works out for you. And yeah. All right. So didn't graduate from state. And then background. Yeah. (laughs) Background economics. uh, It's funny because I got into real estate eight years ago. And, uh, it was, it was like two years after that, I was, uh, cleaning out my house. I was actually selling my personal residence and I found, um, I had found that, uh, I, um, an old box. I bought the house. Well, I should say I bought the house I grew up in from my mom and dad. And then, so now I'm selling this house. It's got a lot of our stuff in there from, I lived there since I was 10 years old right? So 29 years at the time or whatever. And I found my ACT score. Remember, did you remember your ACT? Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember. So I'm looking at this and I'm kind of laughing because on the back of it, it has based on your results. uh, Here are your recommended career paths. You know what number one was real estate. That's funny. I'm like, wow, that would have been information that would have been valuable when I was 18. Right. And this was on your ACT. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember Crazy. the parts, and I certainly don't remember the based on your results part. I can tell you that I was pleasantly surprised because my wife's pretty smart, graduated with honors, like top two or three in her high school, with honors from undergrad, with honors from grad school. So she's always done well. And I always did good. I, I made the honor roll, you know, and I had like a three point in college or whatever, but it it, it wasn't. I wouldn't call myself like, you know, ahead of the class or anything like that. Right. 
And uh, right. anyways, so I took the ACT and, you know, I never planned on going away. I always figured I would do Henry Ford and then U of M Dearborn. That's exactly what I did. Um, and um, so I wasn't focused on it to say the least. Mm-hmm. I thought I got a 17 or 18 and nothing against those that did, but I was happy when I pulled it out and was like, wait, I got a 23. I didn't know I got a 23. I was like, I thought I got a 17 or an 18. Nice. No, this was like 10 years ago. Is it like seven, 17 is like the entry level for college, isn't it? Yeah. Or, yeah. I, I don't know. And again, I thought I, I did fine for what I, for the path that I was choosing, I did just fine. You know, whether I had the 17 or I would have had the 23, you know, and I think I took it a second time and I saw that was a 25. So I was really happy because I thought it was lower, but, um, Ultimately, it meant nothing because I got into the schools and <laughs> clearly didn't. That's need all that it. matters. Yeah. So, so anyways, so economics, uh, ACT, should have gone real estate, didn't do that initially. So right. what led you into real estate? And then obviously you started forming a team and growing that out. And that's, you know, something that I haven't really talked to anybody about. So I'm really intrigued by a little bit more of that. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the interesting part about how I got started in real estate, I used to work for a printing company, uh, a local printing company, and uh, did that for five, uh, yeah, it was five years. And I worked in the division where our job was to print and mail out debt collection letters. Nice. Which, wow. You talk about like somewhat depressing. Yeah. I, I was always like, is my name in here? Can we like take that out? You know, <laughs> but it's not, you know, it's just, we we're, we're the printer. And so I did that. It was a family owned business and uh, had a good friend, um, you know, that uh, worked side by side with, he ended up quitting. He was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. And uh, as the story goes, he uh, had an exit interview with um, the son of the owner who was taking over at that time. So family owned business. And uh, basically I hired him back and gave him a big raise and made him my boss. And so I was like, what, 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 yeah. what just yeah. happened here? And uh, you know, it is what it is. It didn't end up working out. Uh, he ended up letting me go. And uh, I was going to do a print job for our church and I was working with a guy that I go to church with. I think you know him, Lloyd Odell. Yeah. Uh, so Lloyd uh, says to me, I call him up. I go, hey, man, bad news. I cannot do that print job for you. Long story short, I don't work there anymore. <laughs> and he's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. All options are on the table. He's like, well, let's get together and talk about real estate because I think you'd be pretty good at it. And I was like, sure. So I took a month, uh, kind of just gathered my life. You know, because I'm in my mid 30s, yeah, mid 30s at that point. You're unemployed. You kind of just don't know what you want to do. Yeah. It was a struggle. And uh, met with Lloyd. He was at Keller Williams Plymouth at the time as uh, the OP. For those of you guys who know what OP is. Uh, but, uh, you know, he brought me in. I went and got my test done, did the class, did the test. I've actually, it was last month, uh, was eight year, my eight year anniversary, May. Congratulations. Uh, so yeah, I made it so far. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so I got started in real estate. I was rookie of the year uh, at the Keller Williams Plymouth there, which is kind of cool. I don't know if that's a really high bar, you know, but. Uh, I, I mean, unless you were in a two person operation and the, you know, then having anything is I think great, you know, um, because number one, it helps you with your confidence, especially early on. And right. number two, you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You did, you did something better than some other people in the office. And, you know, at the end of the day, those awards are maybe not as valuable as we want them to be. But at the same time, they're super important, I think, to be recognized and for you to just know that you really kicked some ass, you know, you, you really got after it. So, yeah, I think I did just under 3 million. Okay. And, uh, my first year, I was over just over 3 million. I'm sorry. 
Sure. So that was great, you know, and it was funny because one of those months I kind of bunched it all together, but I, I ended up making like $40,000 in one month. Yeah. And that was my big aha moment. Like, holy cow, I just made more in one month than I made working an entire year Yeah, at that printing place. Yeah. So uh, it ended up working out pretty good. I did get asked uh, that second year, I had uh, the opportunity to go be the assistant team leader in Ann Arbor uh, okay. for the Ann Arbor Keller Williams. And yep. lady there, Elizabeth Reigns, a uh, great woman. Uh, she's in the Hall of Fame for Keller Williams. Uh, she knows her stuff. I mean, she's awesome. And uh, I had to really think really hard about it, about what I wanted to do for my career because I was just getting going with selling real estate. And then you, they're asking you to switch and do like more coaching and training. And I had a little bit of background in that. So it was kind of tough, you know, just the, the salary, you know, sure. cut from, you know, somebody who's a producer or who can sell houses. And so I ended up deciding, you know what, I'm going to do that. And uh, I did. And the first three months I was there, I learned a ton. And then, what happened was she actually got a job opportunity to go work with uh, Mo Anderson uh, for all our Keller friends out there who know who Mo Anderson is. She owns several market centers in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And so Elizabeth relocated to Oklahoma and I being the assistant team leader of a team leaderless office (laughs) uh, of which I didn't really want to do. and didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, kind of piecing together and then we're putting together like uh, you know Keller has a program bold that was going through at the time uh, so just getting all the agents engaged and doing teaching and training I'm like wow this is a lot of work but one of the benefits of that was I was able to kind of see and have conversation with um, individual agents you know and kind of figure out what they were working on or what was working their best practices obviously brand new agents uh, seeing what they were facing as they were coming in and how it was kind of different from my story. Then there were like small little teams, you know, like the two to three person team uh, that, that was getting going. And then you had the, some of the bigger teams that were out in Ann Arbor that I got to talk to their team, the team leads out there and figure out like, what are you doing? How are you putting it together? So I had a, I had an almost an unfair advantage behind the curtain scene to all the different levels. And I was like, you know, what? We, this is how I need to put this all together. I started putting it, you know, in my head, like a plan because I did not want to be on the management side. I was like, I'm going to go start and build my team. And I think that's the point where you were getting to is like that, that was in 2015. So as the assistant team lead, which we both know, like in the color world, we would just say ATL. And for the fact that you're drinking M43 and I'm drinking whiskey. We're going to keep calling it ATL so we don't get tongue-tied tonight. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so as the ATL, though, you decided that you wanted to get back into production at some point and kind of use some of the skills that you have learned from a managerial slash coaching side of things within real estate. Because like you said, you had some experience with that, but now as a real estate you know, experience, you, you knew that that was going to be a future path for you um, straight out of that position, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was definitely uh, an orchestrated pathway that I had in my head, like how I wanted to do this. And uh, interestingly enough, um, I brought on a couple partners and I wouldn't do that again. And I would yeah. highly encourage anybody who's like saying, you know what, I just need to partner up with somebody. Be, be pre- pretty slow to do that you know, because there are a lot of financial implications with that. It often looks great on paper until you get into it. Uh, and then it just, it's challenging. But what I did was I kind of built a three headed horse, if you will, with me, another top agent, uh, who, uh, was in the Keller system. Uh, it was very good at listing homes and then, uh, actually an MCA, uh, uh, yeah, an, an MCA from uh, the office, you know, uh, she's actually an MCA angel, Emily, who's awesome. Uh, and if you know Emily Colvin, hey, rock on. Emily Colvin's the best. I think she's out in Rochester now, still doing the MCA thing. But man, we, uh, she was the MCA in Ann Arbor. Uh, and when I was leaving, uh, you know, the opportunity arose, she was looking to make a change as well. And I just kind of said, hey, what do you think about 
you know, putting this together and this company and a team and, and really going for it. And part of it was like really listing based, you know, and um, making sure that we got uh, listings right out of the gate because that's what drives everything. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what anybody says, you cannot buy, you can't buy your business. It's dangerous. It's very risky. Yeah. You need, you need to go develop pathways to become a listing agent and generate listings that, that will, excuse me, fund your business. That'll drive the business. And that's what we did. So I came back to Keller Williams, Northville at that time I was in the Ann Arbor. I came back to KW Northville, uh, had an office there in downtown, uh, and then started building recruiting agents, you know, people who wanted to be with us. Uh, we named our team name opulent life, opulent life realty. Uh, which was kind of cool. And one of the things that we did was around marketing because we kind of had to have like a shtick. And sometimes people were like opulent. Well, that doesn't that mean like uber wealthy? And it's like, yeah. And so what we did was we actually phonetically spelled it out like the O-P dot U, the dot L-E-N-T. So opulent. And then um, put the definition. It was like rich and of superior quality. Okay. which is what we would tell people like you want a superior quality experience from start to finish. So you're choosing to be opulent and it was more of a service level than it was of a material thing. Sure. Uh, and it kind of took, it really took off. I was actually surprised. It was 50, 50 to me. I was like, good Lord, this could blow up in our face. Bad, like bad, like, wow, you arrogant pricks, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. But it, it, uh, we had very, very little of that. We had a lot of people who were, you know, it kind of took on a life of its own. It was really cool. It's really funny. You know, we've talked a little bit throughout our transaction, but again, I mean, we don't really like know each other. Right. So in some ways we're doing that even now. And it's really funny because maybe not to the same level, but similar path um, for myself that I started at a, a different company that I'm at now um, they did a great job with what, you know, with my career starting off, helping out from an educational and, and training standpoint, they helped with some lead flow. But, um, interestingly enough, you know, my first few months in and, and mind you, one of the, so it's a two person operation, as far as the ownership is their owner broker. And, um, the one said, I, I really see you as a listing agent, you know, when I interviewed to start my career four years ago. And um, oddly enough, even though I had some uh, buyer leads that I was working with, uh, mostly generated from the company, um, from open houses or just, you know, sign calls or something like that, that I was able to take. um, My first actual contract was a listing Um, and it was a referral, right? It was somebody who knew me who said, hey, I know you're really good with your previous business, which was a moving company. So I trust you. And I have someone that needs to sell their mom's condo or no, it was actually her condo. She was moving to assisted living and um, to the Henry Ford place there in Dearborn. And she's, and he's like, so, you know, will you do it? I was like, yeah, of course. You know I mean? It was like a $60,000 listing, which again, nothing wrong with that. It's just not where, you know, if you're, if, part of your goal is money and then that's not where it's going to be on, on 60 grand. Um, and so anyways, uh, and when that happened, I mean, there were some people in, in that particular office at that time, you know, they said, um, like, how'd you get a listing? You know, like I've been here, you know, I've been doing this for a year or two years. I've been part-time for X amount of years and I've never listed a home, you know, or I've only had one listing, you know, you're really new. How'd you get a listing? And it was just some um, kind of relationship. And, and that's how my whole life has been, you know, for myself has been very relationship driven. Yes, I'll do a little bit of Facebook advertising. Yes, I've used Zillow in the past, you know, some other things, but it's always been relationship driven and building trust and, and, you know, things like that that way. So some time went on and my first year, I either had 25 or 27 transactions, 15 oh, 15 nice. was mine. You know, I brought 15 to the table. Um, and the others were, again, generated through the company in some manner, whether it was, um, you know, I took your 
your listing and, and you didn't want to go show the house to a person calling in. So you asked me or you put it into the lead system and I took it, something like that. Open houses, various, you know, things along those lines is how the lead flow came in. And, um, and anyhow, a couple of years go by and, um, I was really competitive with somebody there and she's a great agent, still is a great agent. And I said, have you ever thought about maybe partnering up? you know, and, and would you partner up with me? And now mind you, she's got an extra year on me and I'm a year into it. So it's not like I'm, you know, the seasoned, you know, vet and even having a great first year, I think I had over 5 million in sales. And like I said, 25, 27 transactions, one of those two numbers. And even with that though, I mean, it was like, who are you though? I mean, you could have it could be just like sports, a great rookie year in a sophomore slump. Who knows? So I wasn't sure. And she's like, yeah, actually, um, you've been doing so well. I was afraid to approach you, you know? And so we worked it out and all those things. And I never thought that I would have decided to go down a different path. You know, I never thought that I would want right. to do something different from my partner because we were so in line with everything. And, uh, so as some time went on and I felt like it, it made sense to make a change out of the brokerage, um, you know, she didn't feel that way. And I think, you know, in the end of the day, it was fine for everybody. Um, but I know that at that time there were definitely uh, misunderstandings. Um, That's hard. Maybe, hard. maybe people felt, you know, there were lies or deceit. I don't know. You know, and and looking back on it, I could maybe make some similar arguments. Like, well, wait, something this happened as soon as I left. You telling me you didn't have that in the works, and you know, she would look at it and say, "Well, you decided to make this change. You must have had something in the works before you talked to me." You know, so those things right. look that way. But I can tell you, you know, scouts on her. I was never a boy scout, but I don't think that thing happened for her, and it certainly didn't happen for me. It's just conversation went on, and it just made sense. And unfortunately, it made sense for one of us and not both. And we're both doing just fine now, you know? So, um, but like you said about partnerships, um, just <laughs> pump the brakes. Um, Seems like a good idea. Yeah. Needs a lot of thought. Yeah. For us, fortunately, there was a little financial implication near the end, but nothing major, you know? Um, uh. But I could see, I definitely could see where it could have been really bad news. So almost like a divorce from someone who maybe you know, the one person work, 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 and the other person took care of the family. And then at the divorce, it's like, well, this person needs money and you always provide it. You know, I could see where that could be. It wasn't that way for us, fortunately. And um, we're talking maybe a couple thousand dollars had to be sorted out, sorted out, um, which was no big deal. And um, I was not that lucky. <laughs> so kind of funny that, um, that we had a similar starting path. And we both <laughs> were at Keller for a while, although we didn't cross paths there. I think you yep. decided to go over to EXP, which is where you are now, right? Yeah, so basically what happened is after we had to dissolve the partnership and everything, um, I, I made a couple of just business mistakes, you know, almost ego-driven. You know, I hate, I hate saying that, but it, the reality is, is it's not so much like, wow, you're just, oh, you're just, your ego's out of control. It was more like, I, I think I can keep doing what I'm doing, but I lost a great person. Like we, when we split, you know, the reason we got together in the first place was because, you know, in this case, she was really, really good and she's a really great agent. And, and I feel like I'm a pretty good agent. And so when you look at the two of us together, it's what made it really go. And when you broke it apart, I had built it up to where, you know, our first year we did 14 million together. And then the second year we did, I think it was 23 or 24 million, just shy of 24 million, sure. I believe. And that's when we had our parting was towards the end of that year. So, I mean, you look at that growth, like from zero to 14 million to 24 million, yeah. you know, the next, the next, if we could have held it together and worked out everything, we might've been looking at being, you know, a 40 or $50 million team. Right. Uh, and it just didn't work out. And what happened was, I kept the overhead because as you grow, you have overhead. You had employee, I had employees, I had staff, I had uh, marketing things in place, but I didn't have the talent and the ability to execute on all of that stuff. And mm -hmm. I couldn't do it all by myself. And the ego is like, no, you can do it. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll bridge this gap. It's all, you're just hitting a bump. No big deal. You'll be fine. 
and we weren't fine. Yeah. And I, I slowly bled out because in my dissolution of that business, I was not only did I lose the production, but then on top of it, I was paying an override stipend for the better part of a year uh, to the partner. Yeah. Which, you know, that it, that's how partnerships work. We were an S corporation. We split up. Uh, I had to buy back the shares of stock. Yep. Uh, and that costs money. Yeah. You know, when you do that. So I just looked at it and I was, and in that time period too, I had also gone through a personal divorce, uh, which sucked. And I lost, I had lost everything. I lost my savings, my retirement, and it just kind of all perfect storm came together. And I was like, this is crazy. I need to do something different. And, uh, you know, EXP came along. I met a guy, Lou Ronane, uh, who I had a relationship with and I knew and had talked and masterminded with and uh, just kept in touch and just, he's a good dude. Ended up meeting with one of the board of directors of EXP, uh, Gene Frederick, flew into town uh, on a Sunday and I kept him tied up for eight hours where I asked question after question after question, like, what are you doing? How does this work? That seems like that can't be viable. Let me ask deeper questions. And I had to get all the answers for myself because at the time I had, you know, I think nine agents that were on a team. So moving the team is not easy, right. no matter what. But literally I was able to make that move and cut all of my overhead, all of it. And I could have probably done that at Keller too, but I had this huge office. I didn't need a huge office. I had, uh, you know, all the crap that goes in an office. I had a conference room for God's sakes. That yeah. here's what I found out. Nobody comes to the office. Right. I was sitting there in this office. I'm doing work. I come there every day to go to work. And the only time people came to my office was if I, they wanted to have a meeting with me and I would say, come to my office. Right. And I didn't need the pat on the back anymore being like, yeah, you got a sweet office in downtown Northville. I would rather go on a cruise, quite frankly, yep. <laughs> save the money. So it's funny because it kind of transitions right into possibly, you know, a question slash where we're at now, the very beginning of June. Um, we're not through this, you know, pandemic, but we're no we're past certain parts and we don't know what the future beholds, but we know where we're at today and where we are today is numbers are down. Thank God. Um, thank God. Businesses are reopening. Thank God. And, thank God. <laughs> you know, and, and similarly, you know, we were allowed back to work almost a month ago. Um, and some people probably had their worlds turned upside down. Um, in our business, I, I, so I can't speak for other businesses, and I know some friends that their their world still is upside down because they're in the gym industry and they're in the salon spa industry, so they're still not open. But uh, just focusing on what I know, um, it's funny because like I have an office to go to, but I haven't been in it because my two kids, you know, that uh, we they're see school, right? yeah, they're not in school, so yeah. they're home and. I'm home, you know, and um, I have, so I have this now as an office. I, I thought I was going to paint it. I still haven't done that. Um, I thought I was going to oh, good artwork. <laughs> still haven't done that, you know, so all good. But, um, but I have an office and, um, and so it's kind of funny because I think a lot of people didn't have that. Right. And um, so I think in some ways, in fact, there was a person who goes, uh, if you want to talk more about how the virtual world could possibly help you out through times like this, give me a call. <laughs> and he was, of course, an EXP agent. And, um, and so, you know, in some ways you were probably more prepared just because of how, you know, for those that don't know, there's not normally, a, traditionally there's not an office space. There are some offices, right? Mark Z has yeah. an office and other people have some office, but traditionally there's not an office. It's virtual work from home. Um, you can get some space and you can tell me more, or tell me where I'm wrong. You can get some space if needed for meetings, things like that. Um, and then you have, you know, virtual trainings, you have online trainings, you have Zoom trainings, you know, all that type of stuff, but you don't go to a building. And part of the advantage there is everybody saves money from the top down, right? From you up, yeah. them down, you know, everyone's saving money. Um, so you were probably a little bit more prepared to work from home than some people may have been. 
Yeah, because I, you know, because it's been two and a half years now uh, since I made that move, and it was it was different at first. Um, and I will tell you, you know, you have to be purposeful in when you're running a team. You you have to create that community. You see, that's what I what my my experience has been is that people want to have community, and that's why they like going to the office. They like talking to the other agents. They like going to a team meeting. They like, uh, you know, uh, being able to see one another and kind of water cooler talk. Yeah. Um, some people like having a space that they can dedicate and go make phone calls and not be bothered. That is true. Yeah. That, that to me didn't warrant paying, you know, a couple grand in rent and, you know, the costs I, I'll figure out my phone calls, uh, you know, in other ways, so to speak. But my experience with the community is it's very important. And so when you have a team, we have to do morning phone calls, morning check-in calls. Um, we do meet in person. I just meet at Starbucks or Panera. Yeah. You know, wherever. And we still do face-to-face -face meetings. If Joe, honest to God, if I needed to have a conference room, I do work with First American Title. I call Marks Elias on the phone and bam, I've got a conference room in any one of their offices anywhere across Southeast Michigan. Right. That's part two is like, and same with a, uh, you know, a lender. If I wanted to call, you know, Becky Alley from Capital Mortgage, you know, like yeah. if I can use their conference room. They just, yeah. when do you want to come use it? Yeah, yeah. sure. Right. I've done meetings there. I've had my team meeting at Capital Mortgage. <laughs> well, so, no, you're right. Um, there's not a need per se. There, like you said, there are some people. In fact, so I would say for myself, I liked having an office, but I shared it. You know, I shared a one office uh, unit, whatever you want to call it, you know, with somebody. And um, that I liked that because prior to March, if, if I was thinking about summertime, and kids maybe being home or home at different hours than normal. I did need a place to get away. I did need a place to, you know, go even, and I don't do outbound dials, but I talk to people, I call people, whatever. Right. So, so I call. had to, you know, I needed a place to go do those things um, and just do a call or two at home. But my kids were used to me being home a little bit, working from home, that type of thing. And so it wasn't a drastic transition for them. And at this point, now that everybody has either still working from home or they have worked from home now, everybody understands more about that parent-child work balance. And, you know, if I have to say, hang on for one second, just to address, really, even if it's just to address and say, hey, I'm on the phone, I'll talk to you in five minutes, you know, something like that. Um, nobody cares, you know, and... I can tell my kids, I'm fortunate they're at an age, they're, at, they're eight and almost 11. I can say, if I, if, like, if I'm going to talk finances, I don't have time for your interruptions. You know, um, this is a very important call. You know, somebody's going to talk about hundreds of thousands of dollars. So um, I'm going to, I'll open the door when you can come in. And they understand yeah. that. And so it kind of works out. Um, but, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. That's for sure. Uh, well, the interesting part is uh, it's a balance because, yeah, you can work from home and you can have family life. And actually, this career is great. Um, you know, I've had, uh, you know, parents, you know, moms that worked on my work on my team and have worked on my team uh, that are able to handle their kids, both young and old. Uh, and so, you know, you can have that's what the best part about this career is you can have a family. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is a balance, though, because if you're going to work from home, uh, you do have to ha still maintain that professionalism because you're right. People are dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars and they don't necessarily want to think that you're distracted uh, with uh, something going on and, or they want to call back or just have right. that set up to where you like have that time. You have that place you can go yeah. make that phone call for sure. And that's yeah. a balance for sure. And I always think, too, there's there's a big difference. So you call me. And I answer, if I'm barbecuing my burgers right now, then I just tell you, and hey, you called me, you know. But if I call you, then absolutely you should have my full attention. And if we've scheduled a call, then it better be an emergency, you know, because yeah. we've scheduled. We each now have taken time away from whatever it is that we're doing, 
whether it's your your normal work, you know, client, they're not in the real estate world, so whatever they normally do, whether it's family time, exercise time, golf time, whatever it is, they've taken 15 to 30, 45 minutes out to do it, then we better have undivided attention on both sides as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, it's worked out fine, um, you know, so far. Well, I think a lot of people are figuring out too that, you know, what they thought they could never do, like work from home or I could never not have an office, the pandemic forced them to figure it out. And uh, I think a lot of them are seeing like, yeah, you can actually still have your career. You can figure it out. You can leverage technology uh, and you can still, you know, and my personal belief is that at the end of the day, real estate is and always will be a, uh, a relationship business. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to have conversations with people. You're going to have to pick up the phone. You're going to have to go see people. You're going to have to do Zoom calls. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's no way you're getting around that. So uh, figuring that part out and balancing the home life is, is very crucial. Yeah. So, um, you know, what was your business like? I mean, like you said, you, so you took a team and you said, we're going to leave where we're at. We're going to go somewhere else. And there might be a few people that are actual employees, but your agents are still contractors, just contractors kind of for you and the brokerage, but it really works where they're really for the brokerage first. And then for you, I mean, it's just, it's a weird way. It's hard to explain to anyone who's not in the industry, I think, but it's not like you could, it's not like a normal, um, you know, CompuWare is getting bought out and either you're getting acquired by the new company or you're getting fired. It's like, it's not that way. It's kind of like, Hey, CompuWare is being bought out. I've decided I'm going to go work for XYZ company, but you can decide, do you want to come still work with XYZ company? Do you want to work at CompuWare? Do you want to get fired? You know? So like, did you lose anybody that way? Um, Didn't. Yeah. No. Awesome. 100% of the people came with me. That's great. Which, uh, it's not easy because anytime you leave a brokerage, you know, uh, and especially in this case, they want to keep everybody. They want to sure. keep it. Wow. I got a lot going on. This thing. You hear all that? Yeah. It might be a birthday, right? Yeah. Might be We're wrapping up birthday. that time too. I, in fact, yeah. uh, <laughs> quick sidetrack, just got Lion Township Fire Department after June 8th will not be doing the fire department birthday thing anymore. Um, so it was already scheduled. So if you already scheduled it, so um, so we joked with a neighbor who's turning like 38, you know, we're like, sorry. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like drive by, but no, yeah. When, uh, when I left, uh, you know, the broker or KW, you know, they want to retain the people. And so they call and they try to keep everybody. And I was fortunate enough that, uh, I think it's one of those things you bring enough value, have enough relationships with people, uh, that, uh, they choose to come with you. Uh, and, and to, you know, it was a better deal uh, for the agents specifically. They end up with a half cap, they get stock options, you know, it all worked out. So, so then I'm guessing, and you tell me if I'm wrong, normally with a team, there's people that really focus on buying side buyers and there's people that focus both on listing, you know, side. And of course, you know, there's a little overlap with friends and family normally, but uh, for the most part, you're a buyer's agent or a listing agent, you know, or something in between um, where you have like kind of a role anyways. That's really where I'm going. So like during this kind of downtime that we had, uh, first of all, like what was your downtime like? I mean, you've got, that's a pretty good sized team you have operating. So was well, actually, it I, I've slowly, I, well, here's where I'm at today. Okay. I've dwindled down to where I only have three agents on my team now. Okay. Uh, and Wait, I have lead you, you and two more? Me and three more, actually. Okay. So four of us all together. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I slowly, you know, I've helped people transition. Some people were in a place where, you know what, they would be better as a solo agent. And so, you know, you help them get up and running as a solo agent. Um, and, you know, a lot of it, <laughs> you know, candidly speaking is the fact that it takes a lot of time and energy to run a team and you got to have the right people. And if you have the wrong people, it can drain you fast because you're, you end up training. Maybe they're not getting it. Maybe you got to let them go. Um, things like that. So the people that I have now are all 
experienced agents that I spend more time working on deals than I do training them how to do real estate. Mm -hmm. And we can actually focus on more of our marketing and our branding lead gen uh, and things like that. So uh, I spent my downtime uh, refining a lot of that and just lining up to make sure the rest of 2020 is as productive as possible. Um, but a lot of it too is you kind of, you get so busy handling a million different things that don't make you money. And this reset allows you to kind of take inventory of that because you get into patterns, you get up, you know, get rolling, you're, you have your morning, you have your routine, you, you do all the things that you do in a day. And I know, you know, this, anybody who's watching this might not know this about real estate, but it's a lot of like, go, 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 go. And then wait for somebody else to do their job mm -hmm. and get back to you. Right. And then, yeah. and then when they get back to you, then it's go, 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 go again. And then you're handing off the baton to someone else, yep. whether it's a mortgage broker, you're waiting for a pre-approval, you're waiting for an answer on an offer that you wrote. Uh, maybe you're waiting for the photographer to get back to you to, to do listing photos. You know, there's a million things that you put into motion. And what I started finding myself doing is almost, almost not wanting to get overwhelmed. It's kind of like the pandemic. Like, you know how we didn't want to overwhelm the healthcare system if too many people came in all at once. Right. I kind of had that business analogy part where I didn't want to do too much because I didn't want to get overwhelmed and then have poor service or drop the ball on anything. And so I didn't run at full capacity. And quite frankly, I never ran at full capacity. Sure. And uh, I think last year I did like nine, a little over 9 million. Uh, and I mean, this year we're off to a terrible start. I lost, I lost seven pendings right out of the gate of the pandemic. <laughs> so that was not very fun. We're rebounding and getting uh, things back on track, but I mean, it's already June. Were you, we're at the were start of the third quarter. Side? What's that? Were you on the buy side or the list side of those? Of uh, uh, the seven, uh, let's see, uh, one, two, three, three were listings, four were buys. So I'm guessing employment had something to do with it, but. Oh yeah. Yep. That's exactly what happened. So mm -hmm. the minute someone loses their job, then they can't qualify for the mortgage. It kills the deal. Well, the house they were buying, we had that, we had sold our own listing and they were buying another home. It's just, you know, yeah. that's, that was like four of them right there. Yeah. No, I, um, I've said in a couple of different episodes, I mean, I had a cash buyer and a listing that brought a cash buyer. So um, two, two different cash people. And, you know, in, I think it was like around March 20th, give or take a couple of days, that particular week, according to CNBC, worst week since 1931 in the stock market. And... Yeah. You know, I mean, at one point the Dow was at twenty-eight thousand, and then at another point we were at eighteen thousand. We didn't know where we were going. You know, personally, I thought we were going to. About it wasn't a free fall. It was like yeah. every day was down a thousand points or fourteen hundred. You're like, but, oh my god! But the first time you lose a thousand points when you're at twenty-eight thousand, it's not a huge deal because you look at it from a percentage standpoint. Right. When you're now down to nineteen thousand, you lose another thousand points. Now it's a basically the stock market literally shutting itself down to slow down and let, let people catch up from computers yep. and stuff like that was crazy. It happened three times in one day, you know, um, was like unheard of. So, so you had people with cash who started saying like, I don't have the cash anymore. Um, because, <laughs> in, right. you know, I mean, traditionally we've basically taken say, uh, Edward Jones, you know, um, statement and said, here's all the cash. We only need this much, you know, here's all the rest that they've got. And we're going to take this much and take it out. And we're going to come over here and close. Right. And, um, I guess, you know, I looked into it and I mean, legally they still were required to take that amount and put it over here to close, but they didn't, you know, I mean, neither side did. Again, my actual client and then the person for my client. Neither one of those people did it, or at least they said they didn't, and they had records to show they didn't. 
did they still have cash otherwise? Maybe, you know, but one of the things that I think both of us know is you can't really make somebody buy the house. So, you know, you have to go to, in this case, I had to go to the, to the listing agent and I had to go to the buyer's agent and then come back to my client, the, the seller and say, we have to just decide what to do here because, you know, the only other option is going to be court. And at that point, we might have to hold up the sale depending on what everyone kind of believes as far as the brokers, brokers, plus who knows where we're going to be by the time we get out of court, you know? So, um, fortunately neither party really had to have that conversation. We made agreements on EMDs and away we went. And, and as it turned out, I don't know what happened to that buyer on the, on my, on my listing, but my, my listing sold and my buyer ended up finding another place when the market recovered a little bit and everybody's happy. Um, but we you know to lose deals that are cash deals was crazy, <laughs> let alone, awesome. you know, financing deals. And, oh, yeah. and like, I mean, I had one client who took a pay cut and so his pre-approval changed by $50,000. Um, <laughs> but then he got his money back. So they were able to actually keep the same pre-approval. Um, but at the initial time, you know, we went from, we were looking right before the pandemic and then we couldn't look cause he just wasn't really in a position to buy virtually. And then we got back out there with a $50,000 less, you know, opportunity. And that was, that put us into the most competitive price points that we could have been in at the time. So, so it kind of sucked, but I'll tell you. So June, June uh, May 7th, we were allowed to get back out there, get after it. And by May 10th, I mean, I was running harder than I've ever ran in my four years and putting people, you know, back into deals, contracts, whatever, that they were waiting or they had to wait because they couldn't get a contractor to fix something or whatever. And kind of like what you said about your one month, I mean, my June's going to be, you know, practically what last year was for me. You know, uh, fantastic. My my wife joked, if if you could have a July like that, then we could you know do some other things that we've talked about doing. You know, I'm like, yeah, if I could have a July like that. Um, yeah, the key is to string them together. You got to have multiple months. <laughs> yeah, I'll have closings. I don't know that I'll have that many. Um, June will be a record for me for sure. But you know, but it, it took a lot. You know, and that's not something that. Um, everybody could do but i i mean i was happy to run rug, ragged because i knew what it was going to mean for my but clients it, and for myself you know yeah i mean I, we came out of the pandemic was it you said the seventh and that was a thursday right yes eighth was friday ninth saturday 10th sunday 11th so may 11th i listed two properties one in brighton and one in uh westland with livonia schools between the two properties, I had 50-something showings. Yeah. I got six offers on the Westland one. I got five offers on the on the Brighton one. Yeah. It was crazy. And I was like, wow, I guess we're going. I guess we're going. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, when – um, so I had a seller who I met January or February, late January, early February – we talked about waiting till schools got out because she had a kid in, in middle school or starting middle school. I don't know. He's 11. So I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what grade he's particularly in. Yeah, school got out in March. <laughs> so she was ready. The only thing was she had a couple things she wanted to do around the house to have a couple contractors over. Couldn't get any contractors out because they weren't supposed to be working. Right. And, um, and then she's like, even if I could, I'm not sure right now I'm ready for people to come through my house. Then we couldn't cut that people through the house, you know? So, um, so we finally came to market and, um, Mar May 17th, 18th. And, um, normally I have everything done and it's all very well planned out, but, um, she was, she saw a couple of condos that she liked. So we had to go see those and now we have to write a contingent offer, but we are not even listed. So I just, you know, got staging, got photos, boom, 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 faster than normal. And as soon as the photos came to me, I put them on the MLS. And I mean, I don't even think I had a description filled out by the time I listed it, so to speak. 
I'm standing in her house because she hadn't given me the um, uh, disclosures. Yeah, so there's disclosures. Yeah, that's always the last part. You're always waiting on the client for the disclosures. Yep. So I'm standing <laughs> in her house. She signs them. I take a picture of them. I say go live. Then I upload because that's the way our MLS works. You have to have it live before you put those disclosures in. And I turn my computer and I say, hey, look, your house is you know listed. And I put my computer down and my phone rings and it's an agent. And she says, hey, I have a client that just saw your listing on, on Losser. Um, when are you showing that home? How, how many offers do you have? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> she goes, do you have any offers? She's like, I'm driving. I haven't seen it. I go, I just hit go. I'm like, your client must have gotten the alert, you know, and it was like 1.30 or 2.30. And I said, starting at four o'clock, you can start seeing the house. You know, what's your name? What's your agent ID? I'll put you in from four to 4.30. We had <laughs> nonstop showings through Saturday, Friday night and Saturday, 16 offers. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What was the price? What was the list price? 195. Boom. That's it. In yeah. Southfield on, on Losser. Beautiful home though. And uh, I knew we would have some offers, but um, I never expected that kind of response, especially with no open houses, you know, right. no overlapping showings, you know, and um Talking to some of the agents that showed the house, that gave me offers, I actually showed it to a buyer. There weren't people overlapping. So everyone was doing their part, standing outside waiting to end up with 16 offers in basically 32, 34 hours was crazy. Um, and they were good offers. I mean, I, you always kind of feel bad. You feel bad for the buyer, but I yeah. felt bad for the buyer and the agent because I'm like, damn you sent me a great offer. I got to say no. <laughs> and you're saying no. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> that's all right. Do, do, do you send a text? Because I personally, when I get in a multiple offer situation, I call back, I personally call back all of the agents. Yeah. And just say, Hey, here's the deal. They chose another offer. Yeah. Here's where your, your offer was. I try to give them as much feedback as I can so that they can go help their client. With, um, with 16, and with the fact that I think it was the same weekend I was showing your house or we had gotten your offer accepted. So we were doing an inspection. Oh yeah. Um, something didn't happen on her offer. So now I was back out to Macomb, which is where she's moving. So I could show another condo or two for her. Another buyer that I was showing. I mean, it was so much go, go, go that um, I did the email only. I called the like second person basically and said hey man yeah you were right there but we decided to go this route and um and i'm glad i did that because the first buyer was very young um probably straight out of college great you know has a great degree and job and dad came and said no you can't buy this house <laughs> and so so on tuesday we lost deal number one and i called second place and said hey man you guys still interested he goes i'm pretty sure give me a minute and we were right in there, you know, so it worked out really good. But um, generally speaking, yes, I would call. Um, but once we get to like 15 plus offers is, is very time consuming because, of course, some people want to resell you on why you should still take their deal and all this other stuff. So at that point, <laughs> I'm probably going to just send out a, a text or an email. But I'm going to give as much information as possible. I'm going to say... Thank you for your offer. We ended up with 16 offers. We ended up going with an offer that was fully underwritten, was giving a certain amount, you know, or gave over asking with at least X dollars in appraisal guarantee. And um, all we have to do is get an appraisal and an inspection and we can close. So that way they kind of know what they were up against. Right. I did have one person, they responded, they go, was this meant for me? I gave an appraisal guarantee. I was like, it was. They gave a bigger offer and a bigger guarantee. <laughs> so, we liked your guarantee. It just wasn't that big of a guarantee. Right, exactly. So, um, so yeah, it just depends really on the scenario. But I do try to definitely talk to everyone if I can. If I end up with two, three, four offers, I'm 100% calling everybody and, and explaining and talking to them about what's going on. Yeah. I tried my best to develop rapport 
with uh, the agents because I've learned that long after the deal has been done and passed, the agents and I, we will still cross paths. Yep. So you don't want to be that. Everybody knows that agent or those agents that are just jerks that you see them come across and you're just like, God, I, I just don't even want to deal with this. Yeah. And um, I never want anybody to feel that way about uh, myself or anyone on my team, actually. Yeah. You know, so it's really important. Well, and to that point, you know, it is really important for agents to do the right thing because um, one of those Macomb deals that, that I, I guess, I, I don't know if the right word is fell apart. You know, basically I made a rookie mistake, even though I'm not a rookie. And I took the agent's word for it and told my client that, you know, they were accepting our offer, but I did so because <clears throat> I called and talked about the offer. He said, let me talk to my client, whatever. He said, yeah, I think we could do that. Send it over. Sent over the offer. Said, client's super excited. It's your birthday. Um, they're going to take your offer. Then called and said, I got the offer signed, but I'm heading out on the boat. It's a beautiful day like it is today. Said, I'm heading out on the boat. I'll send it to you in a few hours. No problem. At this point, I feel pretty safe telling my client that they're accepting our offer. Right. Yeah, <laughs> verbal acceptance multiple times. Yeah. And then I'm actually, I'm out at your listing with my inspection. He calls and says, I'm sending you the offer signed, but um, I need you to initial the lead-based paint disclosure. Not me, but the, the client. Oh yeah, man, sorry about that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this was, so it was about six o'clock in the evening. And then at 11.42 PM, he texted me and said, uh, we're going with another offer that came in. Uh, my hands are tied here, I really wanted to work with you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I text back seriously. And then I just text immediately back after that and said, ah, what other offer, whatever. And he's like, you know, you seem like you knew what you were doing and you're on top of things. And I really want them to just work with you, but they're really scared of the contingency. You know, we were contingent on our sale. And I said, yeah, cool. Like we, we don't have to be contingent. So, you know, basically all he had to do was, call me and say, Hey, I got another offer. Communicate. Yeah. Can you waive your condition? Actually, we should have done it. said, Hey, I got a, I got another offer. You got 72 hours to remove that contingency. Yeah. I mean, anything, right? So many options. There. So the next morning, you know, I got to Now I got to break it to my client, you know, and tell them that they don't have the house that they thought they had. And, um, and we have to go look for more. Fortunately, because I couldn't sleep thinking about that. Um, I did some more searching and um, found a brand new build from the same builder that built this one that we were in on. And it's going to actually be $15,000 less because the builder has like an incentive to close out their last few units. So saving nice. $10,000 there plus $5,000 less than we were offering them. So $15,000 saved for her. Um, and uh I, I left a voicemail and I said, you know, like, hey, man, um, you know, I don't work out that way a lot, but I'm actually out there because of referral from somebody else I helped move out there. So we might cross paths again. I'd love to know that it's safe to co-op a deal with you. Um, really would just like to know more of the story because the timelines don't add up to me. Give me a call if you get a chance. And that was last Sunday, like May 20 fourth or something like that <laughs> so uh nothing and you, you haven't heard no wow so that guy i ever have to cross paths i'll do it for my client but i have to warn my client hey this guy's not on the up and up he'll apparently say whatever he's got to say do whatever he's got to do if this is the one you want let's do it or if this is the offer you want to take let's take it but i just know this guy's willing to screw you over He's done it already to me before, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I have no issues, you know, telling them that or telling them, telling a client such a thing. And that Terrible. hopefully weighs a lot because hopefully they understand that I deal with a lot of people. And if I've got this bad experience, then, you know, it could get dicey, you know, yep. your reputation does matter. Yeah. So Chris, you're outside and it's a beautiful day and, and night in Metro Detroit. Um, 
have you had, did you get a chance you realigned your business did you get a chance to like enjoy any other downtime or any other outdoor activity or anything at all during I'm, I mean I'm looking forward I'm actually planning on I decided I'm gonna go buy a set of golf clubs finally I, I golf just badly yeah and uh, that's what I'm gonna do uh, so uh, I've also, I've been exercising. I, I, I noticed that there's a lot of people who either drank more, you know, during quarantine or ate more. <laughs> um, I ended up uh, kind of taking my physical health and uh, saying, hey, you know what, here's a great time to reset and get physically active and watch what I eat. And I don't know how much weight I've lost. I've lost quite a bit though. If I had to guess, I've probably lost about 30 pounds since the beginning of the year. That's awesome. Uh, so it helps though that my wife is a uh, dietitian at Beaumont. So sure, well, whatever. she keeps she keeps me on the uh, up and up. It helps yeah. it, it does help to know a professional. I mean, at the end of the day, she's a pro, and uh, we always joke you, you got to use professionals because that's why uh, you know people get ahead when they that's use it. professionals and they leverage the skill, talent, and ability that other people have uh, invested in their craft for your benefit so yeah no uh, our health you know we have genetics and there's nothing we can do about those um and some are good and some aren't you know yeah. but we can help influence those genetics um for just sure. because you have just because your entire family tree lived to 100 if you do the wrong things you won't and just because your entire family tree died at 50 if you do the right things you probably won't you know um and um i'm someone who always was fairly health conscious um and i mean at the end of the day i'm i'm in pretty decent shape and and what have you but i am not in the shape that i have been in before that i want to be in and uh definitely a lot of it was just it wasn't poor food choices throughout the day but it was at a time of the day so Maybe if I walked by the pantry, it was okay to grab a couple of those uh, birthday cake Oreos. Or if I made, <laughs> if I made a, an awesome shake for my kids, I was like, eh, there's a little leftover. I'll finish that, which normally I would never do, you know? Um, yeah. And so, uh, and my gyms were closed and I didn't really have any home equipment. And then I got some home equipment borrowed for a little while to help get get kind of by but it just wasn't the same but i finally found a place got some stuff delivered to the house this week got my gym set up and um i'll be back in the gym you know when school starts but for right now it's just difficult with the kids and, and stuff like that i got the covid hair going look at that yeah it's awesome man <laughs> bringing back that 90s angry grunge I'm ready to go to seattle Somewhere around uh, 4th of July, you should be able to get it cut. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's so funny, man, uh, like the way that this all has worked out, you know, and whether you believe in it, you don't believe in it, whether you, you know, are on the governor's side or against the governor, it's been strange one way or the other, man. Even if you think everything has been done properly, it's still been strange. I really think we're going to get a pretty conclusive uh answer within the next two weeks yeah because unfortunately with what's happened in minnesota and uh that whole situation and the unrest and uh the protests that people are going out and doing um that that close proximity it, all of that is in direct contrast to what we've been doing for the last 10 weeks uh with the covid so I mean, I, I certainly don't want anybody to get sick and I'm not hoping for that in any stretch of the imagination. I just, from a pure standpoint of curiosity, I think it's going to be interesting to see can large crowds coexist in a COVID world. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? My prayer is that nobody gets sick and yeah. it's all like, Oh wow. Okay. And we can get back to, you know, safely feeling like we can go do what we want in restaurants go to sporting events and kind of get back to uh, life uh, as we know it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's strange doing things, not doing things, you know, I mean, 
um, even going fishing with a friend on a boat, you know, they're like for a little while, you know, now they, everyone kind of feels a little bit better about it. But at the beginning, you know, you had a few nice days in there and it was like, eh, I don't know if we're supposed to be that close to each other or if we should be on the same boat or are we going to get there? We're going to drive separate, you know, that type of thing. And we still don't have the answer, but I think we have a better feel for what's acceptable from a safety standpoint. And um, like you said, I mean, hopefully with all the things that have been occurring from, you know, protests and unfortunately riots and, um, and then also just people kind of not being as cautious or maybe not caring or not believing anymore. You know, I think in general, I mean, I see it in the neighborhood, you know, no one was doing anything together. Now maybe these three neighbors will get together and these three neighbors will get together and we still won't do a big neighborhood thing. But six weeks ago, you know, it was like, hi neighbor. Hey, how's it going? You know, from the other right. yard and stuff. Now it's at least sit around the fire or maybe the kids can play on the play set. Whereas before it was like, no, you can't play on the play set because you can't touch their play set, you know, stuff like that. So, um, yeah. So like you said, I think, I think we'll see uh, some results too. And hopefully they're all good because I would love to know that, you know, we can, that unfortunately people were lost and stuff like that, but that no more has to happen, you know? Yeah. And then when, next time we can get together. Yeah. Drink a couple of these live and in person. Exactly. So <laughs> awesome. Well, Chris, uh, any parting words before I uh, click uh, end here? No, I just say, hey, thanks for having me on, man. I've been totally uh, excited to get to know you better and uh, love doing the deal together. It was awesome. And we just need more agents like you out in the marketplace, man. You're a stud. I appreciate that uh, greatly. And um, I'm glad that you joined us and gave some insight on uh, on some teams, you know, and things like that. Because I think that's uh, obviously a huge thing for, for our industry. So um, appreciate it. And uh, we're out. Talk to you later, man. See ya.